You are about to enter the Cyber PD Podcast. Cyber School Pedagogy lives here. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Cyber PD Podcast. I'm Steve Nugent and joining me is my partner in all things high school professional development, Katie DiStefano. Hey everyone! Today we have the uh, exciting conclusion of our three-part co-teaching series in the cyber classroom. And today we're discussing co-teaching in the high school classroom and joining us are the most amazing high school co-teachers, Jordan Alderson and Anna Lepsch. So welcome, Jordan. Welcome, Anna. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Hello, hello. Yay, we're so glad you're here. Um, Jordan, why don't you quick tell us what you teach and how long you've been here? I teach English 208 and English 209, but I uh, exclusively teach English 208 with Anna, so it's Literary Analysis and Composition 2. And this is, and I have to remind myself, but I believe this is now my seventh year here at Agora. Excellent. Excellent. And how about you, Anna? Um, I also started seven years ago. Um, Jordan and I were in the same hiring group that came in. Um, I am uh, have been teaching with Jordan for three years, uh, but I've been co-teaching for five altogether. Um, and I am also a high school special education teacher. So I do both the English class and special education. Fabulous. So you said you have been co-teaching for five years, mm-hmm. but three years with Jordan. Jordan, is this your first co-teaching partnership? It is. It is. So I started with Anna three years ago. So you were the expert here, Anna. Yes. Lead in the charge. That's right. She is. Excellent. Well, thank you guys both so much for being here. We really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah. So one of the things as, uh, you know, we as a PD team learn more about co-teaching, the analogy was presented to us that the the co-teaching partnership is kind of like a, you're like dance partners. You're uh, almost, and they almost compared it to like a marriage of sorts as well, that, uh, that you have to be partners in the classroom. So uh, how did you to go about breaking the ice with each other as as co-teacher pairs. So Anna and I actually had a very different start than most co-teaching pairs. When the school year was just getting ready to start, I I was informed that I was gonna have a co-teacher and it would be Anna. And unfortunately my father passed away at the very beginning of the school year. So I had to take off for, what was it, maybe about a week, right at the beginning. It was the first week, yeah, the first right week of school. at the very beginning. So a lot of it kind of started as I feel like it should. It had like an, an unsaid emotional bond because I relied so much on Anna to take care of something that's so important to me. So I already came into it with so much respect and appreciation for her understanding what was happening with me and then for her to take that upon herself. So I already felt connected in that realm. And just like what you were saying, Steve, it is uh, a partnership. It's exactly what it is. It's give and take. And it's very similar to the way that I teach my class, which is uh, I'm a pretty open-minded and laid back person in general. So that kind of bleeds into my classroom. And, And I try my hardest to make connections with people. And sometimes that's easier and sometimes that's harder, but it was very easy with Anna. Um, I don't know if it was because we had the same sense of humor, but we're interested in the same things. But Anna was somebody that I immediately knew from the get-go that I could rely on and that I would genuinely be friends with. 
even outside of this, I knew that I would enjoy spending time with her. So that kind of started it, at least from my point of view. And I and I would agree wholeheartedly with with Jordan. I think it's it was it was a very odd kind of coming together. The beginning of that even was that right before Jordan found out he was going to be working with me, there was actually another teacher that was supposed to work with me, and that fell through, didn't work out at the very last minute. So Jordan got pulled in, and then it was a you know a difficult time for him, and so we very quickly had to talk briefly and reassure each other that everything was going to be okay. And, but we found very, very, very quickly, we got on the same wavelength. It, it really was surprising. We're different generations of people. Um, I'm, you know, Jordan's only a year younger than my oldest oh. son. So, uh, uh, so it's kind of a strange combination. Um, but we have very similar tastes in, in literature and music and the arts and our literature, everything, um, and even in our outside in extracurricular activities. Though he coaches basketball and I coach swimming, so we we just gelled very quickly. And it spills over in that relationship, spills over into our classroom. I, our students feel it, and it just helps on, on every level of what we do. Yeah, and I was I was going to mention it. I would imagine that kind of bond that you two have translates well with the students that they can see that kind of I would imagine fairly clearly you two it, it just seems like just seems talking with the two of you it, it I can I can hear it through uh through the computer I'm sure your students do as well yeah it's it's it was organic and it didn't have to be forced to to um meet a certain standard or need it just kind of grew naturally and and I definitely do agree with you that the students can tell and, and that's kind of how we run the class. There's no set. I mean, sometimes, of course, depending on the lesson, we'll have certain things for certain people. But it's not like I'll say, OK, Anna, you take it or I'll take it. It's just we give and take as we go through like a dance partner would. It's just a rhythm, a feeling, a vibe that you develop and get better at, you know, with over time. And when one of us isn't there for whatever reason, um, maybe we're testing or one of us has a, a, PT, a PTO day, um, that's one of the things that's been very unique with this partnership with Jordan versus some of the other partnerships that I've had is that for the students, there's no interruption for them. And and I don't mean it just me feeling there isn't, but I don't get from the students when when Jordan's not there, I don't get, well, where's Mr. Alderson? And, and I need to ask Mr. Alderson about this, or I need to find out about this, or, you know, there's none of that kind of um, separation in their minds. Emails come to both of us randomly with questions about the class. They they don't seem to though. Sometimes I think because my name start my first name starts with an A, I I get them first. <laughs> but <laughs> he doesn't complain about that. Sometimes I'm surprised at some of the questions. But they don't hesitate to to ask either of us questions. And sometimes they'll respond in private chat. They'll respond to Jordan when they've when I've asked them a question or they've, they'll respond to me in private chat when he asks a question, which is luckily we can see the chat for either side because it's very strange sometimes. But I think they see us as one big unit. Well, your trust of each other obviously has transferred to the students and they're responding to both of you equally, which is wonderful. So one of the things that I think people tend to struggle with when they initially come into co-teaching is that idea of 
giving up control um, and that idea that, you know, teaching is such a personal thing when we're in buildings, teachers close the door and like, this is my domain, this is my space. And people often have difficulty having someone else come in to that space. You obviously both teach classes independently, but now you have some classes that you're together on. But it sounds like this was not the case for you, that you didn't have that kind of brushing up against each other with the, like bumping up against each other with those, like who should say this, who should do that. Um, so maybe instead of saying, how do you transition to the idea of sharing that classroom space, how do you go in and out of your independent classes and your co-teaching classes? You're approaching your students in two different ways, I think, when you're when you're in when you're by yourself and then when you're a pair with a different in a different classroom. We definitely miss not having an extra person when I'm teaching by myself. Um, <laughs> it is nice to know that there's kind of this extra set of hands, eyes, you know, chat going that can go on. And I think for us, part of the reason that uh, and Jordan said about it being organic, that it it does fit so well is that we have very similar teaching styles. So, you know, we communicate in similar ways with the teachers, we, I mean, with the students, we relate to the, the students in similar ways. So then it was just a matter of us figuring out where our strengths are in the curriculum in the classroom. And there's overlap enough, but there's differences enough. So neither of us feel that we don't have things to offer independent of each other, um, but we can each support each other as well. So when we don't, when we're by ourselves, then we just fill in those gaps, you know, because they're kind of there anyhow. They're just not as strong as others' sides. Yeah, and for me, it really—it's so funny you said that, Katie, because I remember vividly when I was 21, I was student teaching at State College High School, <clears throat> and it was after class one day, and I was lucky enough where they were having a a meeting, and this was a bunch of European nations, and they were leaders in certain educational fields. And they just randomly chose my classroom to have a meeting in. And I was like, well, what are you guys doing in here? And they looked at me and they were like, well, what are you doing in here? And I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm student teaching. And they were aghast that I was so young. And they were like, well, in our country, you typically explore the world. And then you come back and go into education when you're a little bit older. And they said, well, why do you have your door closed? And I was like, I don't know. That's just kind of what we do. And they were like, we never close our doors. And they were like, well, what do your kids call you? And I was like, Mr. Alderson. They're like, they call us by our first name. So I was like, well, why? And these are leaders like Norway and, and people that really lead in a lot of these <clears throat> testing and, and even, you know, if you think creatively. So I was like, well, why do you guys do that? And they were like, everybody's about sharing ideas and you have to create a culture of doing it before you can actually go about doing it. So putting it on a level where everything is open, even if it's just the door that sends a message. Even if it's just your name, that's a message and that creates a culture. Um, so that's how Anna and I have kind of hit this running and implemented it into the classroom. So <clears throat> when I teach, it's very thematically and I look at a lot of bigger pictures. And one of the coolest parts is I could ask a question where I'm looking for a deeper meaning and some of the kids will get it. But Anna will then repeat the question in such a different way that gets to the right answer. And I'm like, that was so brilliant. Like I didn't think to ask the question that way. So my half got some kids and then she looked at the same question in a totally different way, repeated it in her in her mind to the kids and they got it. So that that coming together really helps 
see so many different types of learning styles. And she's very, very good at, and adapt at that, at, at acknowledging when a question can be broken down and chunked and looked at at a different viewpoint that maybe I haven't picked up on. And it helps bring everybody into the same uh, uh, connection and same kind of understanding of the material. I can absolutely see where you'd miss that when you are independent, but I imagine you bring so much of each other into your classrooms, even oh. when, they, when the other's not there. So one thing that you mentioned, Anna, um, is you, you said that you, it was a, in terms of the partnership, it was a matter of discovering where each of your strengths were and then kind of playing, playing to that. How did you two go about that? <laughs> it's like, was it a formal, did you guys sit and meet and, say, these are the things I think I'm bringing to the table, or was it, did you discover that as you went along? A, a little of both, I think. Um, we we did talk when, before we jumped into the whole teaching together, um, the brief bit of moment we had before, before unfortunately Jordan um, wasn't available as much when his dad passed, we had to get to know each other, uh, you know, at, at a professional, like how we click in the classroom level. Um, and that was a conversation that we did have, you know, where do we feel that, that we work best? Um, it wasn't so formally said, I think it was in a conversation, you know, how would you approach this? How do you do, you know, what do you usually do to talk to your kids? You know, how do you feel about certain situations? And I can vaguely remember some of the conversations I said, it was a couple of years ago, but I know we did make some efforts to communicate, and we still do. As we're at, we meet to talk about uh, data, we you know, I, I tend to keep spreadsheets, and we go over things and and look at groupings and how we, you know, how kids are doing, what we see as progress, um, what communication or or connections we've made with certain students. The the beauty of both of us being there is that some students just naturally relate to to Jordan better than that they do to me, and and some the other way. So we talk a lot about that, um, but we're always looking for who's best at doing this piece and who's best at doing that piece, and and how can we bring out the best in our students? I think any good relationship revolves around or requires that constant level of communication, and it sounds like you're both committed to that, which speaks to why you are so successful as a co-teaching pair and your students are picking up on that as well. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Now we want to dive, I think, a little into the nitty gritty of the uh, co-teaching world. Most of us, I think, know that co-teaching, there's kind of three main elements to it, the co-planning, the co-instruction, and co-assessment. So if you don't mind, can you describe that co-planning process? Because I feel like that's one of the more important areas because that's where, where everything starts with that co-planning. How, how do you both go about doing that together? So I would say that our co-planning actually starts with the co-assessing. Um, what we'll do is get a baseline, right? And try to get something. Dr. Butler is going to be very happy to hear that. Um, so <laughs> if she, Dr. Butler, if you're listening, we got the backward design going on right here. Sorry, go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. So it, same concept, though. It's we get a baseline. Um, um, we look for certain things, whether it's reading comprehension, regular grades, or and we have another category. And, and Anna put this spreadsheet together, and we just kind of fill it in as we go, uh, where we feel that their writing skills are, and then we'll move into engagement. Where are the students engaged? And then we look at the curriculum and what we have, and we can break each kid down into certain groups. You can't do it individually every day. Just too many students that it's. 
it would be ineffective to do it that way. But you are able to chunk and group kids in a nice, in a way where at least you can see a common need or a common thread amongst the students. So that will then drive the planning. So we'll get together, go over our spreadsheet, talk about it weekly. Some kids will start in the F category for writing, but the next week they might be a, a D and that's significant progress. I don't care what anybody says. You're moving up. That's progress. That's what I'm looking for. Um, some kids might go to a B and then sometimes the B might drop down to a D and I'll also see in the engagement column they did the same thing. So the, the grouping doesn't stay the same. It's always fluid and always changing. Um, so then when we go into the instruction, we look for certain elements. Um, since I have the English background, depending on what the um, curriculum calls for that day, um, I, I might create the lesson and then send it to Anna and say, where do you think we can break these kids out and who should we break out and who do you want to take and what do you want to focus on? So if we're looking at something like uh, constructed uh, responses in writing, uh, we can group those kids that we have. We can go like uh, D through C or B and A, put those together. And I'll say, OK, I'm going to take A and B and see if I can work on their support. See if I can see if they can make connections to the real world. Where Anna, given the special education background where she's really focusing on very minute details, she can say, OK, I'm going to look at sentence structure. I'm going to see if I can get them to restate the question and build. And that way, once like I said, it's so fluid that the next time we do it, the kids that Anna had might be in my group and they're not aware of it. They don't know that, oh, I'm in Mrs. Lepsch's group because I have, I'm in the D category. They're not aware. They have no clue. Um, and that goes back and forth. So that's how the assessing goes, excuse me, goes into the planning and then right into the instruction. Because more of our conversations revolve around those key areas of kind of, you know, where where's their because we are literary analysis and composition. That's the course. So we're looking at how are they comprehending what they're reading, doing that analysis, but also how's their writing. And those two pieces then are really driven by their engagement. You know, we can have those students that did very, very well for a while. They and they got complacent. And then they start to drop off an engagement. And everything starts to fall apart. So we tried. I said, it said I, I keep the data just so that we and we share it back and forth. We send the, the spreadsheet all over the place and share it in our classroom, you know, on the board, um, so we can look at it when we're talking. But we really try to constantly reassess all the students when we go top to bottom and we separate them by you know which section they're in, so that we know who we need to look at, or maybe if we see a little bit of slippage, who, who we need to focus on and make sure we're talking to, or just say, hi, what's going on? But the other thing that we've tried, which is outside of that whole grouping, is that we have done just a random, okay, we're breaking into two groups. And we just you know make a breakout room, break them into two groups. So it's completely random and done some parallel teaching where we're teaching the same lesson because we found sometimes that when it's a smaller grouping of people will increase the engagement for the students, which because there's just those two or three that talk, maybe they're not in that room anymore. So the others that weren't talking now feel they need to. Um, so we've tried all sorts of different ways of kind of throwing it around, but we constantly talk about that with each other to see how we can get everybody moving. I think that's a real benefit of having a solid co-teaching pair that 
you are talking to each other during the planning stage. And just in this little bit of dialogue, I've heard so many pre-planning type things that you're doing. You come up with a lesson, but then you're talking about engagement strategies um, and you're talking about assessment strategy. You're, you're talking about putting the kids in groups. And before you even get into the classroom, they're clearly not spur of the moment decisions, although I'm sure there are some. You, you have to. That's just education. But that you go in with these plans and you go in with this plan together. So spending that time on the front end is, is clearly important to both of you. Um, how about with those strategies, and you just said just dividing the kids in parallel teaching can be really effective. Do you have a co-teaching strategy that you really have found to be exceedingly effective in the cyber environment? Is it sort of an uncharted territory for, for co-teaching? There's a lot that's written about it, but it's definitely written for brick and mortar, not cyber. So what have you found to really transfer well to our setting? So I, I think it needs to be flexible. I don't think there is one standard model. Uh, I, I think that you have to have an ability to adjust even on the fly to go into different types. Um, I, I personally like to start with team teaching. Um, that's since we have such an organic relationship and it shows. And like I said previously, where uh, we're going over something or reading something and highlighting the main idea or looking for a theme and then the way Anna is able to supplement that um, and bring in other kids works very, very effectively. And then while one is teaching a certain subject, I might grab a couple of kids who answered the wrong question um, and pull them aside real quick and say, what did you struggle with this? What's going on? Or, or a kid that might not be as engaged, you know, and you can pull them aside real quick and say, hey, can you hear me? Are you there? And it doesn't interrupt the flow. Um, because a lot of times, and as you know, like when you're in a classroom or in, if you're watching a show or whatever the case might be, you don't want to come across lapses or pauses because not only do they stand out, but they're distracting. They're very distracting. So having two people in the room that can just do it so fluidly, um, and because we have that private chat between Anna and I where I can say, hey, I'm going to take Jimmy real quick or I'm going to take this group that answered it wrong real quick and then boom right there picked up and it's fluid and nobody misses a beat and then with the parallel teaching just like we were discussing I, I think when we're really looking at specific students maybe not whole group but specific students and watching them grow and being able to track them that seems to be the most effective in my experience. And we have had to do some alternate lessons where maybe we take something that there's the standards are vast. You know, there's a lot to cover, but there's some key elements that really need to be focused on. And so we've done that as well, where there is that we know and I have already identified groups of students that getting that larger picture may be more difficult for them, but they can get those key elements that'll enable them to be successful. So then we'll separate out that way. But we have very consciously made the decision to not always have Jordan doing the main instruction and me doing the support. And that's something that we we are very conscious of and making sure that we're comfortable switching back and forth. And that's probably why when one of us isn't there, there's not too big of a, a there's no ruckus because you know we do flow back and forth between them and and you've probably just even noticed from our conversation here you know we've learned how how we cue each other um so we we do talk on top of each other sometimes and we go back and forth but the kids kind of know that we'll have a, 
a dialogue amongst ourselves as we're as we're teaching, and I think they enjoy that. And a lot of times they pipe in in the whole conversation. So I think that's fantastic. And again, all of that I, I feel like is coming through the computer and just our conversation together. And and I love the fact that. It's not just, you know, Anna, you're in charge of the special ed students, Jordan, you're in charge of the general ed students, because I feel like some teachers could fall into that, you know, you have your specific roles, I'm going to take these students, I'll take these, and because that's not co-teaching, that's not what co-teaching is. So I'm so happy to hear that, that you have had success so far with that, that the past three years with your, with your uh, co-teaching partnership. How about uh, assessment and grading? How does uh, how does that work with the the both of you as as co-teachers in that English classroom? For me, I I prefer and I've noticed this even when I was in, in college and in high school where I would submit something that I thought was very well done. And then the next teacher that I submitted it to, even if it was a different assignment, of course, it would still be the same type of writing. And the grading was so different. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And it takes a little bit of time to figure out what that teacher is looking for. So I, I prefer, and I don't, I know that where our students are at and I want them to get basic certain things. Uh, so we have developed a constructed response guide for the writing um, or our close reads. I will take the main uh, task of that so that students can see more of uh, consistency. And that's not to say that we wouldn't, but every single person looks for something even a little bit different. Every English teacher looks for something a little bit different. So for me, I want the students to really look at what, what I am assessing. And then Anna's very keen on it. She knows what they are. So when they come to, for feedback, a lot of times they go right to Anna. And that's fine. Like, I, that's perfectly fine. She knows what I'm assessing. The kids know what they're going to be assessed on. And she's right there for the support. And I said that was a very conscious decision and a conversation that we had. And that comes from, as as Jordan said, you know, our own experiences, not, not just his experience, but my experiences as well, when turning in written assignments is that writing by nature is subjective, you know, by who's reading it. Um, we felt that for consistent feedback for the students and for clear expectations for the students, um, and again, that's... Uh, that is Jordan's expertise as well. That his um, that he would be doing the grading of the written responses, um, and because of the way our our course is structured, that often those are, those are the only two types of things we have. We have written responses, and then we have the multiple choice that's graded in the course. So my level of participation and assessment often is kind of following up and doing feedback and, and going back over, um, you know, we're seeing trends on missed areas and questions or missed parts in the writing assignment that I'll do those kind of reinforcements. And when we have, we have occasionally, and again, sometimes the course constraints limit on what we're, what we're doing. But when we have done Alternative types of assessments, where they're where they're maybe a you know more of a creative outlet, um, we have have switched out those things um, you know, on who's doing the assessment. So it is fluid to some extent, but because of it being writing, we really felt it was important that there was consistency throughout the grading. Yeah, and I think Anna, you just hit on something that I forgot about. Usually, towards the ends of units or semesters, we're going to give kids choice and do some more project-based type learning. And that's something where we'll we'll share those duties because they're not looking for the same standards that I would be looking for in some of their written work. So 
then, uh, you know, fair game. Let's, let's just both look at this and, and grade it based on whatever that particular rubric is. Excellent. I have like goosebumps. I want you guys to like, I want to be in your class. Um, and, and actually, as we start kind of wrapping up our time together, uh, I'd love to hear because I'm sure it happens all the time with the two of you being so dynamic and fabulous. But can you tell us about a great learning moment that happened in your classroom that wouldn't have been possible had you not been co-teaching, had you been in the class by yourself? Man, I think it's kind of hard to pick one. I'm sure. Uh, for me, it comes more so with the relationships that we developed with certain students. Um, given the population, especially this year, we were given a very specific population um, that were not successful in the past. And this year more than any other has been very challenging and very rigorous and draining. And I have had more than one student, but I'll focus on one that I won't say his name, but we'll call him Bill. Well, I said Bill earlier. Let's change the name. Let's go. Then get I let's a better, get name. a better name. Xavier. <laughs> I like that name. Let's yeah, that's a good one. So Xavier um, came into this class with zero self-confidence. I mean, none. There was no chance that he had it, it in his mind of passing this course. So Anna and I both, right off the bat, he was vocal, and that was that was a good start. Communicating with him, connecting with him, talking to him about things that you know every teacher does, trying to build relationships, and then pulling him aside at times and looking at his work together and highlighting what was good about it. And it was a slow start and he would say, well, I only got a 60 on that. That's not that good. And it's like, okay, how do we make it a 70? And that's where we allowed rewrites. And then watch him say, okay, I get it. Light bulb, turn into work, turn into work, turn into work. And it improved and improved and improved. And now that same student, Xavier, is what we would consider like a leader in our course where and every teacher does it where you kind of rely on certain kids to move the lesson along a little bit and it gets the other kids excited and pulls them in and then they can have their own side of conversation whatever the case might be that's fine they go education grows in different ways but to watch him grow not just educationally but emotionally was was what this is all about right like we're trying to create positive human beings so watching him turn into an A student who had less than a 50% last year is great in and of itself, but watching his confidence bloom, his self-esteem, his ability to communicate, his interactions with, with us and, and superiors, and, and that's what I love to see, and I think that's what is why we teach, more importantly. That's what it's all about. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to say that's a success story if I've ever heard one. So, yeah. yeah. And, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Anna. I was just going to say, I said, Jordan alluded to it. I said, every year that we've co-taught and, and the previous years before I was teaching with Jordan, um, there's always been kind of a different um, way of putting together the co-taught classes, the, the students that are in the co-taught classes. And um, and this year they've tried something new as, as they have done. And, and I think we're getting closer to kind of a good feel of what co-teaching is on both sides. What is a good classroom makeup? And what's a good pairing? And what's a good for the curriculum? Everything. I mean, I think we're, we're headed 
two, two just wonderful things on that. But this year we have a lot of repeat students, even students that Jordan and I have had last year or even the previous year that have not been successful in this class. So they know the course. They, they know that it was something they didn't do, that they couldn't pass before. So that's been a tough hurdle for us as, as teachers to try to inspire students that already feel that they are failures. And we have seen a lot of positive movement. You know, our passing rate may not end up being as high as, as we would have liked it to be. But our since we started in a position where we just didn't have a passing rate, it's just been wonderful to see these kids get the confidence they need, get over 60%. You know, we don't have a whole huge bell curve this year, but we're getting them over the 60s. We're getting them into the 70s. And they're passing and they're feeling successful. They're feeling like they can respond in class, that they have something of value to say, that their interpretation of what they're reading has value. And that's what's going to create that lifelong understanding of written material, which is the goal, you know, because you have to be able to interpret data for the whole of your life. Um, and so that's been really exciting for us. And it's sometimes frustrating as well this year, but it's, it's uh, definitely, we see it growing um, and yeah, we keep, we keep plugging along at it. I do think that as the co-teaching program is growing at Agora and we're starting to see what this is like in the cyber setting, I'm pleased to see on the professional development calendar for June time that is being provided to our co-teachers to help provide input into what the classes are for next year. So, um, and I'm sure that came apart about as part of, of this conversation that you're just, that both of you are having um, and, you know, who is the ideal co-taught student and, and who will have the most benefit from it. But regardless of the kiddos that you had, it does sound like you have made a tremendous difference. And I'm um, sure that for all the Xavier's um, that they're very, very thankful. And I'm sure their parents are as well for your care and passion. Thank you. <laughs> even, even the bills. Yeah. And the bills. Yeah. And the and bills. bills. <laughs> Don't forget them. Yeah. Yeah. So to wrap things up, I have one last question for for the both of you, and that is what sort of general advice would you give to other co-teachers or other future co-teachers, uh, people who might be listening to this that are going to be co-teachers in the future? What, what words of wisdom can you impart? <laughs> I, I think going back to one of your first questions when it was the idea of how do you give up my classroom? Because... As selfless as teaching is, and it is an extremely selfless profession, it's also extremely selfish because the idea is in 20 years, my goal is that one of my students will make the right decision in their life. And I could maybe say that one day in 10th grade English, I had a factor in that student making that right decision 20 years later. That's a selfish thing to say. But it's okay. I'm okay with saying that. And I think that understanding that education is not about you. It's about all of us. Like I learn from Anna every day, just like I learn from the kids every day, just like they learn from me every day. So going into it with the concept of my class is putting up walls that you can easily break down 
um, just by being a little bit open-minded. Uh, giving up control seems scary in any situation, uh, but knowing that people are in this profession for the right reasons is going to lead you to where you need to be. Yeah, I think it's it's open and honest communication and remembering that, you know, we're we're human beings that that have our, you know, positives and negatives just like anyone else. But just like you, you know, meet anybody that you want to get along with. You have to make those steps and you have to hear each other and listen to each other. Um, and that just will grow that partnership. It's difficult. To, to do on and on some levels because you have to watch your own expectations. So I think always expecting greatness from your students is where to start because I think that's something that Jordan and I agree on. Um, we don't worry so much about each ourselves, but we expect our students to be great. And that's what we're fighting for. Thank goosebumps. You guys are the greatest. Thank you so much, Jordan. And thank you so much, Anna, for being with us today. It was an absolute pleasure talking to both of you and being inspired by you both. One thing that you, neither one of you mentioned really was the fact that everything you're, everything you're saying is all about the students, all about the students. And I have heard people say, like, I just wish I had a co-teacher because it would be easier. Um, nothing that you have said made me think that this is easier, but it has made me believe that this is absolutely the best thing for those kids that are in your room you undoubtedly put in a tremendous amount of work, not only on your own relationship, but in the planning so that it, it transfers to the students. So thank you for everything that you do beyond what is expected of, of any teacher. Um, I'm so thankful to you. Thank you for sharing and inspiring all of us today and to all of our listeners. And, and I don't know if you two knew this, but um, Cyber PD podcast is now available on iTunes. Hey. Very true. Wow. Um, also, Castbox and Stitcher and Podbean um, and Spotify. So it's it's actually really hard to not listen to the Cyber PD podcast. Like you, it's everywhere. Basically, we're viral. Ubiquitous. I like it. Let's go. <laughs> That's right. And don't forget to, as Katie would have me say, uh, social media it up. Uh, <laughs> use that uh, <laughs> hashtag agoraproud, hashtag uh, cyberpdpodcast, like, subscribe, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, and thanks again to everybody uh, for listening. Thanks for uh, once again for Jordan and Anna for your time with us today. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, everybody listening, feel free. Send your PD coach topics of things that you'd like to hear on future episodes of the Cyber PD podcast. We uh, we we want to know what you want to, to listen to. So with that, I will say, until next time, keep, keep learning. learning. Thanks for listening to the Cyber PD podcast. Tune in next time for more cyber pedagogy.